Hello, and welcome to episode five of Tech Swamp, and our very first themed episode. What is the theme, you ask? It's birthday. <laughs> this month is Axe's 20th birthday. But first, let's do a roll call. Of course, we have our host and your friendly neighborhood membership team here today. Hey, Nick. Hey, Alex. How are you doing? Pretty good. Caitlin, what's up? You know, just chilling. <laughs> and this is Alex. Today, we're going to dive into 20 years of tech policy and highlight 20 years of membership. But first, we're going to quickly talk tech history and run through some DC headlines. All right. The day, May 27th, 1998. ACT was born! Originally, we were just known as the Association for Competitive Technology. We were founded by Mike Sachs and then quickly followed by our first ever president, Jonathan Zook, aka Jay-Z. Um, recently, the first volume of The Competitive Edge Axe's original newsletter resurfaced, and we found some pretty good stuff. And don't worry, we're going to share it with you. You will be able to find the first page of the Competitive Edge in our show notes posted on the ACT website, actonline.org. What else? In 1998, ACT aimed to protect intellectual property rights, ensure adequate labor force, and change encryption policies that put our member companies at risk. Sound familiar? Over the last 20 years, we've had so many successes in all of those initiatives. Stay tuned to hear a little bit more about all of them. Um, and we have continued and will continue to advocate for, con- for more progress for the next 20 years. And that sound means it's time for What's Brewing in DC. Caitlin, what are some of the top tech headlines? Well, last week, the Senate voted to reinstate the FCC's net neutrality rules. Senate Dems used a legislative tool known as the Congressional Review Act, what we call the CRA, um, which allows Congress to overturn recent agency actions with a simple majority in both chambers, as well as the president's signature. Notice that Caitlin said recent agency action. Recent here means within 60 legislative days, not calendar days. So although the FCC repealed net neutrality way back in December 2017 and then submitted it to the Federal Register on February 22nd, which was over three months ago, uh, there have only been 60 legislative days in that time period. Cray. That is cray. So the Senate Dems led the charge and passed the CRA 52 to 47 with 49 Dems and three Republicans to restore net neutrality. The bill will now be sent to the House, where it is very unlikely that it will be brought to the floor before the rules will be fully repealed by June 11th. You may have heard about this thing called the General Data Protection Regulation, otherwise known as GDPR. Well, it's going in effect on May 25th, and if you're anything like me, you've gotten a flurry of recent emails or notifications on your favorite apps and websites that their privacy policy has changed. All that is because the European Commission's primary privacy rules regarding the information and personal data of any EU person are being implemented. And now you've probably heard us talk about this at length on episode two of TechSwamp, but generally the protections included in GDPR expanded rights for data subjects not only to access their data, but that they also be informed of when, where, and why their personal information is being processed. There are also a ton of definitions and technicalities that millions of U.S.-based small businesses must understand and comply with. If you feel unsure or just want to validate the steps your business has taken, consult our GDPR guide and GDPR-related blogs. We'll be linking to those in our show notes. When it comes to GDPR, just remember, better late than ever, but never late is better. (laughs) But in all (laughs) seriousness, we hope that none of our listeners and members were too late in implementing the GDPR. But as Nick mentioned, if you have any questions or any issues, please reach out to us. We're happy to help. 
And one more tidbit, in June, the United States Patent and Trademark Office will issue their 10 millionth patent. This is a huge milestone for American innovation and our members because intellectual property... A.K.A. the lifeblood of our members' products. Exactly. That IP is protected through patents. In fact, we issued a recent survey to our members regarding IP, and we found that 60% of respondents owned a patent, and one-third licensed their patents to others. This is exactly why we will continue to advocate for fair and effective patent laws. For more info on IP and patent laws, head to our show notes. We'll be sure to link to all the content we've put out on this issue. Today, we're taking a deep, deep dive in the last 20 years of ACT and the tech policy and initiatives that have shaped the tech landscape. Now, you may not be able to tell by our voices, but your trustworthy hosts were under the age of 10 when ACT was born and in its formative years. So we brought someone in with a little more experience to walk us through it. Welcome to the podcast, ACT President Morgan Reed. Woo! Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I, uh, I left my uh, walker at the door <laughs> for all of us old folks out there. <laughs> um, all right, so Morgan, uh, we know that a lot of our top line issues include strong privacy laws and encryption, IP rights and computer science education, and workforce development. Uh, from a historical perspective, what continues to drive these issues, and how has ACT's advocacy impacted these issues? Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up those three issues, Alex, because at a core level, they are, they are evergreen, because they get down to the fundamental principle of why ACT exists and why we're here, and that is to make sure that the things that power small, innovative companies to become big, innovative companies are ultimately the same, and that's... Um, your ability to bring a new idea to market, your ability to find the money for that new market, uh, for that new product, and your ability to uh, raise capital um, based off of something like intellectual property or something you own is pretty critical. And if you think about it, the ability to protect your um, product through strong encryption, technological measures, all sorts of things, they've always been true. And so... And the bottom line on the on the big one that we all know and everybody on this podcast listening knows too is computer science education. I might have a great idea. I might be able to raise money. But if I don't have anybody to make it, then I never get to market. So ultimately, um, the foundational elements of computer science education will always be true for us as an organization because, frankly, there's never going to be enough good coders no matter what we do. We just need to get a few more into the system. So... So from that perspective, if you think about it, for the last 20 years, um, ACT has been trying to figure out how does that small, innovative voice get brought into a discussion that is usually dominated by 800-pound gorillas. Um, If you think of the history of ACT starting in 1998, one of its primary things that it did right out of the gate was um, in the midst of the Microsoft investigation and trial, uh, there was a lot of talk about breaking up Microsoft. And one of the problems that everyone saw was, well, breaking up Microsoft would probably be fine for Microsoft, but it would be terrible for developers who at the time were developing the software for Microsoft products. Because guess what? If you went from having to develop uh, products for a single platform to developing products for eight different groups with slightly different operating systems or slightly different um, technical requirements, 
the biggest companies would be best poised to make eight different versions, and it would be the smallest companies that would have the hardest time reaching that new fragmented market. So at its core, it was, how do we inject the voice of small businesses into the 800-pound gorilla debate? And, you know, we're seeing that today. When we talk about intellectual property, one of the issues that we worked on was, uh, how do we improve patents? The big companies can always hire enough lawyers to fight bad patent suits. They can always spend time in court um, attacking their competitors or, or going through the process of inter-parties re-exam or you name it. But our effort was to say, how does the small inventor, number one, protect their invention from theft or misuse? And then number two, how do they protect themselves from predatory abuse of the IP system? So we spent several years working on patent reform, but from the small business perspective. When it comes to encryption, um, the big companies have ways to solve the encryption problem. They have entire legal teams that are dedicated to 24-7 meeting uh, breaches, meeting other requirements, uh, lawful access, etc. Um, our members work 24-7, but they work 24-7 on getting a product out the door, not waiting to comply with a lawful request from law enforcement. So uh, down the line, when you look at what we worked on, IP, uh, protection, and then the other one, of course, that Alex has a lot of experience with uh, is privacy. Same problem. Complying with uh, 47 different state laws regarding privacy and breach isn't too hard if you're a company that can hire enough lawyers to do so. Mm -hmm. Yet it's impossible for our members who were looking at this in the case of kids app developers and saying, how do I comply with... 47 different state laws, plus COPPA, plus international requirements. So if you look at the legislative actions we've taken, intellectual property, encryption legislation, COPPA, both when it was first passed and then on the second round, it's always been true. How do we get the small business voice heard on these major legislative issues that have a disproportionate impact on the new guy than it do does the big established players? Uh, Morgan, I mean, you bring up uh, really great points there. And so you touched a little bit about legislation and policy and a very key point in there about how, you know, you, we go about educating our members on, you know, understanding these things like that. Can you talk a little bit about some, you know, initiatives and stuff that we've launched in the past to help our members understand these confusing policies and regulations and, and, some, and work to push uh, legislation policy forward. And I think also this is a good time to sort of cut in and say we also really have separated some of that work into two verticals because we sort of do some health work, we do education work, and obviously there are themes that run throughout those like privacy as you mentioned, but um, and encryption sort of, and security, and encryption and security yeah. all of the things really computer science education, but can you sort of talk about them in those two right. different sort of buckets? Well, yeah, I think though, I think Nick, you raise an interesting point about how do we educate our members. And, and that gets to another fundamental um, reality of our world, which is the primary goal of our members is to ship a product. Mm -hmm. Get that product into the market, find customers, grow, do something new, innovate. Mm -hmm. And so we ask a lot of our members when we say, hi, you need to spend an hour of your day learning about this subject that might have a direct impact on you in X number of months, or even more importantly, we need you to advocate for right. a position. And that means taking time out of your day that you're not coding, that you're not working on your marketing, that you're not reaching out to VCs, that you're not working on your pitch, uh, your pitch document. So I wanna make it really clear that what we're asking of our members is 
in many ways far more substantial than the full-time paid lobbying arms of a lot of the bigger companies. Because we're actually asking people to be citizen advocates and take a time out of their day that has real cost to them to engage. And so I think one of the things that uh, your team has done, and Alex has been a great leader on this, is we've worked really hard to make sure that we have verticals and that what we're doing is we're making sure that our education of our membership um, stays true to what they need to do. So when we ask them, hey, you need to advocate for this, we want to make sure it ties back to here's how it has a direct impact on your ability to seek capital, um, to protect your intellectual property, to make it into the market, to ensure that you don't get sued. Um, so I think one of the things that we have to always remember when we're doing member education is um, if it's not vital to them, then we failed in our job. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in the case of Connected Health Initiative, on the health vertical, I'm incredibly proud of everyone here and the work that they've done around literally uh, breaking the code um, that prevented companies, ACT member companies, from getting their products reimbursed out of the healthcare system when a physician uses them, being part of that system. I'm incredibly proud of the work that we've done to try to um, move forward the system when it comes to remote patient monitoring and telemedicine. Um, the work that we did with the Food and Drug Administration to stop them from regulating things like BMI scales by working um, on their, uh, uh, their guidance document mm -hmm. that came out in 2013. And I'm, I'm proud of those because they had a direct impact on the bottom line of our members. And so when we go to ask them to advocate or be yeah. part of that, it's a lot easier. Uh, same thing with our, uh, with our program that we did with the Kids App developers. Um, we basically made sure that our voice was true to what they needed. They needed clarity. How do I bring a mar product into the market? Um, how, do I, how do I ship it? How do I get parents to buy it? And how do I make sure that I comply with the law? So I think that in a lot of ways, the verticals we've set up um, and the work that you all have done has really been focused on making sure it's relevant because what we're asking for is a major, a major part of the daily life of our membership. So we have been talking a lot about the work that we've done in the past 20 years. What do you see for ACT in the next 20 years? Give me, give me a forecast here. Well, I think there are two phrases that Jonathan Zuck always likes to bring up, and uh, one of which is that we have a, uh, our, our light, our vigil is always on pushing back on uh, the well-worn phrase of nobody wants technology at the speed of government. <laughs> so we, we have to spend every waking day thinking about how do we make sure that government is not impeding the progress of our membership? The second, uh, the second part of what I think will be heading toward the future is um, how do we make sure that as new regulation is developed that it, uh, that it not only impedes but GASP might even create opportunity. So when we are looking at what we all know to be major changes that are on the horizon. For example, self-driving cars, better digital medicine, um, uh, VR, AR, uh, drones, um, uh, the FirstNet program to uh, empower first responders. All of these have enormous regulatory oversight. Drones have the FAA. Um, healthcare has FDA, HSA, uh, HH, HHS, CMS, so many acronyms we can't even get to it. Um, <laughs> Our kids app developers have FERPA and COPPA. 
Uh, and everybody's got GDPR. So <laughs> when we look at what we're moving forward on, I think it's about how do we make sure that we don't have we don't have a problem of uh, of an Im of Im impediments to good innovation. And I think the second thing that we will have to spend a lot of time on, both legislatively and otherwise, is the fact that the societal shift over the last 10 years, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this a lot, and everyone, you know, I think everyone has a hard time remembering it, but think back to 10 years ago and think about life before smartphones and realize that the epic change that has occurred on the way that we collect data, share data, engage with people, engage socially, that is not going to slow down. It's going to get faster. And so while we have these externalities that we all need to think about, the questions about privacy, the questions about identity, the questions about information, and then we get into machine learning and AI, those will continue to be a driver. So goals are really simple. Make sure that the government doesn't get in the way, but then find a way to make sure that we're being uh, outside of government, responsive and respectful to understanding where people are within society right now. Morgan, thank you so much for coming to talk with us today. We hope you enjoyed your very first guest appearance on TechSwamp. Well, I'm hoping that everybody listens many. to this. First of many. Yeah. <laughs> thank you all very much. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Morgan. For Member Minutes, we're bringing in our founder and first ever member, Mike Sachs. Mike, hi. Hey, Alex. How are you? I am great. So, Mike, you are the founder of the App Association. What else were you doing 20 years ago? Well, I had a software company called Sachs Software, very original name, and uh, <laughs> we made uh, components for app uh, or application developers. Uh, mostly in communications to help them make better applications faster. So we made something that a lot of people needed in their programs and we wrote a really good version of it and documented it really well and then sold it to a whole bunch of people for a lot cheaper than it would cost for them to make it. Oh, that's really cool. So what inspired you to start ACT? You know, uh, people were uh, calling on the government to break up Windows and to uh, divide it up to different companies and have all these different versions of Windows come out uh, so that there would be more competition. And I thought that was a really bad idea and I talked to a lot of my colleagues and we all thought that this would not benefit anybody, right, except for a few competitors. Um, but for, for small companies like us, we would have to test our software for multiple versions and multiple editions from different companies. We would have to market to different customers. We would have to support customers and ask them which version or edition of Windows they were using from which vendor. And eventually all those different uh, versions would end up you know, be becoming very different from each other. And so it would make our life a lot more complicated, our business more complicated and more expensive. And I don't think it would have benefited any of the customers that we had. Uh, so we thought it was a really bad idea. And um, we wanted to have our voice heard and basically say, you know, we can appreciate the problem you're trying to solve here, but the solution is terrible. And here's why. And uh, so we held a little press conference and uh, I started a website. And uh, that was the very beginning of ACT, basically. That's amazing. That is 
Absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. (laughs) 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 And ACT, so that stands for the Association for Competitive Technology, right? Right. So in the very beginning, our uh, focus was a lot about uh, on uh, our focus was a lot on competition um, because I believed that the way you compete in the tech industry was by listening to your customers and making a really great, amazing product, not by lobbying the government to harm your competitors. And so uh, the software industry has always had a lot of competition. There's new products coming out all the time. If you look at the last 20 years, you know, Gmail never uh, didn't exist 20 years ago. An iPhone is amazing. It came out of nowhere and blew everybody away. There's so many products out there that have replaced other products um, that nobody could have foreseen. And so uh, competition is really what drives uh, the tech industry. And, uh, you know, it's not a predictable path. Products come out of nowhere and competitors come out of nowhere. A lot of them are very small companies. Sometimes big companies do amazing things too. Right. And so over over the last 20 years, how has the membership changed? You know, our members actually have not changed very much at all. They're all like small companies that are building technology. But what they do has changed. Um, you know, personal computing has become a lot more personal than it used to be. And so the solutions that we build end up touching people's lives uh, much more intimately and much more broadly at the same time. So. We uh, used to have people who built, uh, you know, things to keep track of your inventory and who built database management systems and everything else. Now people are building cloud solutions and apps and uh, managing healthcare and helping people to, you know, keep track of their health and their fitness and their wellness and all those things. So the members are still the same. They're still small tech companies, but instead of building applications they're building apps and uh you know we we build stuff that makes everything work from the apps to uh you know all the infrastructure and the ecosystem around it like uh like cloud services and uh, security and everything else um you know it, when we renamed Uh, act from act to act the app association it wasn't that we had this vision and we were going to reinvent ourselves now by that time our members were already building uh, apps and we had shifted our platform from just a pc to uh, mobile devices and cloud and everything and so our name change actually was long overdue because we had already changed quite a bit um, as, as all of our members working together were reinvent, reinventing their businesses and their products uh, constantly. I always say that our members are, are what make the internet cool and fun and interesting. It's the things that they have built that sort of allow for us to use the internet in the way that we do today and use our phones and use other technology and sort of interact in a new and exciting way. And a lot of that was really driven by our members, which is really cool. It's true. And it's actually very exciting when we go and have meetings with policymakers and we can talk about our products because some of those products they know and some when we show them, they go, oh, I have to show my aunt that or I have to show my child or whatever. So 
people get excited about the products we build. And apps are being made all over the world and all over the country. We have app makers in every con congressional district. And it's very exciting to go and visit you know, a congressional office and have somebody from their district show something that's being made right there and they had no idea. And you know, people think of, of apps being made in Silicon Valley and, and that's where all the big press uh, is focused on. But you know, apps are made all over the country and they're made by people who live in small communities. And that's why it's important that we advocate for, for example, broadband in rural communities so people can have a great job working for a good company um, anywhere, whether it's a small company in a rural community or they're working remotely for a big company somewhere else. Um, if you can have a good job that pays well and live close to your friends and family and the community that you grew up in, life doesn't get much better than that. That is so true. So we're going we're gonna to leave you with the same question that we left Morgan with. How do you think we're going to be changing in the next 20 years? We have 20 down. What do you see in the next 20? So first of all, personal computing is getting more and more personal. People are storing their most precious things on their devices. They are recording their life. They're sharing their life with others. Um, they're using these devices to communicate with their loved ones um, more frequently and more deeply. And so the, the impact of technology on society is going to become even bigger. At the same time, technology is changing very, very quickly. And so it's becoming harder and harder to anticipate where everything is going. And when you're in the government or you're trying to build law, make laws or pol set policy in Congress or at uh, um, an agency, you need to understand the consequences of the policies that you're envisioning. And so I think it becomes increasingly important for small companies, tech companies, and people in the tech industry uh, to have those conversations with policymakers to help think through the unintended and intended consequences of the policies that are envisioned. And those, those conversations I know in the past 20 years have made a big difference in making better policy. And I think that will become increasingly important in the next 20 years. So I think we'll be doing a lot of the same things, but they'll be even more important than before. And uh, hopefully they can continue to contribute to making better policy that ends up benefiting society. Well said. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thanks, um, Mike. And, uh, Happy 20-year anniversary of the founding of ACT, the App Association. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. I feel very old. <laughs>
former social studies teacher. Um, reformed. Reform, yeah. <laughs> and there you go. Uh, it it takes, takes a look at, like, historical events or just things happening in the world and gives them kind of a uh, fresh look. And it's, it's very fascinating. And so I'm very excited that that's back and that will consume my next... 10 weeks or so every Thursday morning. Yeah, just to reiterate how excited Nick really is about this, he tweeted about the last episode, and he used emoji, like many emoji. I think I used 10 emojis to describe my thoughts and feelings on the episode. this is very important. Um, Caitlin, I know you also have a hot take on something else that's happening in the world. I do. So I just want to preface this now with, Dad, if you're listening, (laughs) I love the Penguins more than the Capitals. Always will. We're from Pittsburgh. Like, I get it. But obviously the Penguins were eliminated. They didn't make it, is what you're saying. From the playoffs by the Capitals. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'm a D.C. resident now, and if the Penguins can't play, I'm going to support number two, which is the Capitals. Um, So last night I'm watching Game 7. It was a pretty physical game. Um... My favorite part, if you know anything about me, you know I love like you know messy, dramatic situations. As long as I'm not a part of them, um, and you just like to watch them unfold. I just yes. like to watch them unfold. <laughs> the chaos in front of me unfolds. So Tom Wilson, um, a player on the Capitals, was super aggressive last night. Like really, really hopped up on Mountain Dew, and <laughs> there there were some fights that occurred. And I'm not a violent person, but I found myself like from my couch saying fight. Um, there was a, a little scuffle, kerfuffle going on by the goalie, goal net, goal net, the net, the goal, the net. Yeah. There was a sports ball, sports ball, a net sports situation. Puck. Yeah. <laughs> there was not any neutrality around the net cause there was a fight. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyways, so there's this fight. It's crazy. These two players, they have to go into the box. They go into timeout because they were, they were yeah. misbehaving. They were in the box for minutes, probably like five, because they were fighting, Mm -hmm. and they both come out of their respective boxes and just head straight for each other, drop their mittens, drop their sticks, and just go at it. Time out didn't work. cool. Yeah. Uh, Oh, no. Yeah. That was my attempt at (laughs) it. Their time out didn't work. At at, at the accent. Um, Did you... So, so what you're saying is Tom Wilson was kind of being like a, a little bit of a goon last night. So, goon is the word that hockey players use for someone that's like... An enforcer, like trying to fight and things like that. He was actually, a good. Didn't Sean William Scott? Wasn't isn't that his name? Didn't he star in a movie about yeah, the, being a goon? The, yeah, it was. I think it was appropriately called. No, I goon. wish it was the goon. <laughs> no, no, I think it was actually called goon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna make a connection here, which is that Kurt Russell is the father of Wyatt Russell, and Wyatt Russell. Wait, let me try this again. Wyatt Russell was in that movie, Goon, and then Kurt Russell was in Miracle, which is a movie about hockey, so basically it's a family affair. That's all I'm trying to say. Oh, that's nice. I thought you were going to hook it to your your random identifier. Which which... is, um, to everyone's surprise, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Well, because here's the thing, I feel like emotions were high at this game, and for me, um, emotions were very high, um, what, a week ago, when Mm -hmm. Brooklyn Nine-Nine was canceled. Take a minute to let that sink in. It sunk in. Nick, <laughs> one day you're going to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine and you're going to understand why it's so great. Here's what I will say. Fox, they said no. They canceled Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's what the Fox said. <sighs> I'm just going to move on. Um, luckily, NBC Universal 
um, swept in at the last minute, and they picked up Brooklyn Nine-Nine for one more 13-episode season. It's going to be amazing, especially because um, they did not know whether or not they're going to be canceled, and they ended the last episode on a cliffhanger, which I am just... I can't believe they did that to me, but like, luckily, I get one more season on NBC. Yeah, what would you have done if you if they just slept on their cliffhanger? I think I would have like like fan sent, fiction. You no, would have fan fiction. No, I'm no, but I would have <laughs> sent like strongly worded tweets. You know, like, and I'm not a bit like you guys know. I sort of mostly tweet about stuff that ACT is doing because right. it's very important. You should check out my Twitter. Um, What's your handle? It's at Alex E Cook mm-hmm. Original. No, my yeah, name with the search. Um, it's pretty much all act stuff, but I, but I would, I would, I would diverge from my typical and I would, I would have had to tweet. You'd let the Twitter version. I would have probably created like my own, just like leave Britney alone YouTube video, but it mm-hmm. would have been about Brooklyn Nine-Nine and how Powerful. they ruined my life. No, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I think maybe with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and with that. And with that. <laughs> Guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who composed our awesome music and has a new single out. It's on his Spotify, which is also on our website. Check it out. Yeah, and also don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And of course, we'd love a rate and review. Five stars, please. (laughs) That's all for today, folks. Everybody say bye. 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 Bye.